Good morning, everyone. I have to admit, whenever Sarah said that Michael had picked the songs this morning, I was particularly nervous that we might get a rendition of You'll Never Walk Alone, or worse, Dirty King's Amber Army. But uh, we've been spared from that so far. I don't know what's coming later, um, but we'll see. Um, it's always a privilege to teach the Bible in any church, particularly this one. Um, but I have to say it's a particular privilege to get to speak today at this Farewell Sunday for the Wileys. Um, whenever I came to Carnmoney to become youth worker, uh, here, 11 years ago, I stepped into the shoes of the person who had done youth work um, before me, and so I guess it's fitting for me to be speaking today because I got used to following in Michael's footsteps a lot uh, over the last decade or so, and here I am 11 years later still cleaning up the mess he leaves behind. Um, but <laughs> I'm joking, of course, but for months whenever, whenever I came here, people, maybe even for years, people often greeted me by calling me Michael. <laughs> And uh, Clark Abernethy still does it sometimes, to be honest. But uh, and, and it was a little bit, uh, you know, some people might have found it frustrating, but I have to be honest and say that I actually found it a I took it as a compliment often, you know, to be compared. Uh, maybe it was just a height. I think that's what it was, you know, but to be compared to Michael. I've learned so much from him over the years. I'm better in my understanding and my leadership and my preaching and my, but just in my faith and who I am because of, of Michael's. Um, leadership and understanding and, and preaching over the years and haven't had the opportunity to work and, and serve alongside him in this time. Rachel, Michael, your home was the first home in this church that Sarah and I were invited into uh, for a meal and we, appreci we appreciated that at the time but we appreciated you deeply, uh, both of you deeply um, over the years. But enough of that until later, okay? Because uh, we're going to turn to God's word and continue our journey through these chapters in John's gospel that help us to see how we've been discipled by Jesus. And that's a theme that Michael's brought to us so much in his preaching of how actually we are to be led and be discipled in our faith through and by Jesus. And, and there's often a temptation for maybe a preacher to illustrate a sermon. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you know, often a preacher might illustrate a sermon with with things that that he or she really likes. So you know, lots of sporting illustrations. If that's if that's uh, you know who uh, if that's the preacher, what they what they enjoy or likes. So lots of preaching um, about sport or about music. If they're into that, well, I have a problem this morning because the passage that we are looking at is John 15 has lots and lots of gardening illustrations and analogies, and I know nothing about gardening. I'm terrible at it. Uh, I, I feel uh, miserably, uh, although the one battle that I do try to win each year is the, you know, the moss, to defeat the moss in the lawn, which I realize puts me dangerously close to resembling a man of middle age. Um, but that's, that's the only thing that I can kind of talk about. And so in some ways, this sermon comes with a health warning as we look at John 15, because there'll be gardening experts among us this morning. And maybe you might see um, pearly illustrated points as I try to fumble my way through, through this. But actually, if you are of the gardening ilk, maybe these words of Jesus might actually connect with you in a fresh way this morning, because actually this is a passage where Jesus describes God as an attentive gardener, where Jesus describes the God or points out that God is a gardener who wants things to grow. He wants to help us to grow. It's a passage about spiritual growth. It's a passage about Christian fruitfulness. And it's a passage that gives us clues as to how you and I can be discipled and led by Jesus Christ. Let me read again just the first part of it. I am the true vine, 
and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Um, Just as a reminder, these words of Jesus were spoken near the end of his earthly ministry. In fact, they're spoken within the upper room um, in all likelihood and, and are part of his last major teaching to his disciples. And through these words, Jesus is emphasizing to his followers how they can continue to follow him in the future. Because there's going to be a time coming quite soon for them where Jesus is not physically with them anymore. And he's given them clues or an indication of how they can continue to be connected to him, to remain in him, to continue to follow him. Just before we consider these words, I wonder if you got these two pictures in your mind, if this might help us with the passage this morning. I wonder if you see spiritual growth, faith, spiritual growth, as like a factory or like a field. Spiritual growth is like a factory or a field. Let me explain. Some people view faith like a factory. Well, you see, with a factory, there's a straightforward formula. If you put all the right stuff in at one end and you do all the right things, then out the other side will pop out what you want or well, there will be the desired result. So focus on passing on the right instructions to the factory workers. And if everyone does what they're meant to, then it's going to lead to the desired outcome. I wonder if you view, or we are tempted to view our faith like that, where we do all the right things, and we put on all the right stuff at one end, and we hope that out the other end will pop a fairly well-formed Christian. We probably know that it's not like this in reality, yet it's so easy for us to become consumed in church attendance or spiritual activity or doing good things, or moral behavior, or religious rituals, but we miss out the need for personal proximity to Jesus. Do you treat your faith like a factory? Processes? Or do you treat it like a a field? Where discipleship to Jesus is much more like farming in a field. That picture of the farmer, the gardener, getting the soil right, maybe uprooting the weeds, planting the seed, and then watering it, and then observing the crop and keeping an eye on it. And just like for a farmer, life is unpredictable. And it's important to react to circumstances as they arrive, to observe the crop, to assess the conditions, to tend to the needs. Sometimes growth is really obvious. Sometimes it can be hidden. Constant watering and effort Sometimes it's frustrating, sometimes it's fruitful. It takes time and patience, but after a while, we might see little shoots of growth. Someone described discipleship as a long obedience in the same direction. It's a lifelong journey of us tending the field of our faith in such a way to allow God, the gardener, to grow the fruit of his son, Jesus, in our life. And so as we explore this passage today, I want us to consider what this means for our lives. And I want to pick out four phrases or 
pictures that Jesus shares that instruct us about how we can grow spiritually. The first thing the gardener does is he uproots the weeds. That's number one. He uproots the weeds. Verse two, Jesus says about God, his father, that he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Jesus explains that God, the gardener, wants to remove some things, wants to remove the the branches in us that have no fruit in them. The good gardener is seeking to get rid of the of the dead parts of our faith or the toxic parts of our, our life that are damaging our discipleship, that are destroying and getting in the way of our impact. And it's, it's a pretty stark picture to begin with. A gardener who's removing things, uprooting them, getting rid of them, that get in the way of growth. The words of Max Licato ring true to me in this, with this idea where he said that God loves us just the way we are but he loves us so much that he refuses to leave you that way. He wants us to be just like Jesus. You see, God isn't just in the business of patting us in the head. He's not just even in the business of dry cleaning our souls, but he's also in the business of tearing down walls that we've built up in our life. Which leads me to ask, what needs cut out or uprooted in our, in your life? If God is the gardener and Jesus is the vine, are we tending to the vineyard that is our souls? Disciples of Jesus should grow in their ability to identify a behavior or an attitude or a habit that needs cut out of our lives and to allow the gardener to get to work, to to cut off the fruitless branches. Becoming spiritually mature actually means being open to God, uprooting the weeds in us. And I wonder if that's an invitation we could give to God in our lives today. We've sung it already this morning. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. God uproots, God the gardener uproots the weeds. But the next thing the gardener does is he prunes the branches. Verse two continues. He says, he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, this is where the danger of my gardening expertise might uh, be exposed, okay? But this is slightly different, okay, than just cutting out and getting rid of the weeds, Pruning, I'm told, isn't just cutting off the things that are bad, but actually it's cutting something back that might be good, but it's cutting it back so that it can go on to be even more fruitful. Notice Jesus' words here. He says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So it's not just, you know, this is worthless and rubbish and we get rid of it, but actually the, the, the parts of our lives that actually can be fruitful, at times God is pruning us or pruning our attitudes or character or behavior or faith in such a way that actually we can be even more f- fruitful. Leslie Newbigin suggests that about this passage that some branches the gardener clears away and other branches the gardener cleans up, clears away and cleans up, or to put it another way, God both builds up and breaks down. See, pruning isn't always to be seen as punishment. Pruning in our lives is a method God uses to grow us. At times, as the gardener, God will prune attitudes or behaviors in us, which while can be painful, is always done for our good and to enable us to bear more fruit. Again, it's worth considering what areas of our life 
might God be wanting to prune so that we can be even more fruitful? I'm told it's true of horticulture that the harder the pruning, the greater the beauty that will later be released. The harder the pruning, the greater the beauty that will later be released. And God can use hard or painful circumstances to prune us, shape us, or teach us. The famous C.S. Lewis quote reminds us that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Maybe today you're experiencing difficulty or doubt or darkness. Perhaps this might be a season for you to hear the voice of God more. You might have heard the story about a woman who goes to a silversmith to ask and to watch and find out more about the process of silver being refined. And she watches the silversmith hold a a piece of silver over the fire and he lets it heat up. And he explains that in refining silver, one needs to burn away all the impurities um, and hold the, the silver right in the middle of the fire to do that. She asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there the whole time watching the silver being refined. The man answered, yes. Not only had he to sit there holding the silver, but he had to keep his eyes on it every single moment that it was in the flames. If the silver was left there a moment too long, it would get destroyed. The woman was silent for a moment. Then she asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is fully refined? He smiled at her and answered, that's easy. When I see my image in it. God is refining us, shaping us, because he wants us to become more like Jesus. For the world to see his image in our lives. And sometimes he can even use the heat to do that. He's the gardener. He prunes our branches so that we can be even more fruitful. It reminds me of Paul's words to the Corinthians where he says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. There's that image again. You are God's field. So he uproots the weeds, he prunes the branches, and then thirdly, the gardener wants us to, uh, needs us to remain connected to the vine. Jesus encourages disciples with these words, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me, Jesus says. So our relationship with Jesus is fundamental to our fruit bearing. To bear fruit, remaining attached to the vine is essential for sustenance and life. Jesus is the vine and we won't experience growth as disciples without remaining in him, or to put it this way, our fruitfulness is dependent on God's faithfulness. Jesus is clear that living our lives separate from the vine and without relationship with God means that we can do nothing. The need is to learn to abide in Jesus. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do a few things. Yeah? Isn't that what he says? Apart from me, there's a few things that you might be able to do. You might struggle with most things. No doesn't say that. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I wonder this morning if we really believe that. Do we really believe those words from Jesus? 
and do our lives show it. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Other Bible translations use the word, instead of remain, they use the word abide here. And it's a brilliant word. The abide means to continue or to stay or to dwell. It's more than a one-time activity. It's this kind of constant posture in our lives. And you know, coming to church on Sundays isn't the goal. Gathering here for worship is brilliant, but it should be the continuation of already abiding in Jesus throughout the rest of our week. Today, Sunday, the church gathered is the pinnacle or the highlight of faith during the week, perhaps, but it's not the only show in town. Abiding is more consistent engagement, not a one-off activity. Sunday's like the buffet banquet, okay, and maybe today's going to be a good example of that with Little Wing Pizza uh, in the hall, but I said that and some of you are just like, let's move it on. Come on, let's keep it going. But Sunday, church, church gathered is like the buffet banquet of the week where we feast on the word of God. We join with others in worship. We, we experience the spirit leading us together. But you know, if we only feast at that table and we don't feed our souls during the week, then we're gonna be malnourished. Abiding means allowing Jesus to invade all of our lives, the hidden and the quiet parts, to enjoy being with Jesus so that we can become like Jesus and learn to do what Jesus did. In many ways, abiding is kind of the opposite of striving. You know, where striving is about trying harder, doing more, being better. But abiding is more about quiet dependence and inner trust and private devotion and deep reliance on Jesus. Abiding isn't trying harder, but it's about dying to self. Not about trying, but dying. Abiding in Christ is about learning to lean on God and let him lead us. I think I've used this quote here before, but I love it. Give up the struggle and the fight. Relax in the Lord Jesus. Look up into his lovely face. And as you behold him, he will transform you into his likeness. You do the beholding and God does the transforming. There's no shortcut to holiness. Maybe some of us, myself included, need to learn to strive less and abide more. To give up the struggle and the fight and to relax in the done work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's done. He said that, didn't he? He said, it's finished. Relax and surrender, relax in Jesus, sorry, and surrender to his will, his ways, and his work in us. Can we hear this invitation? And that is what it is, by the way. It's an invitation of Jesus to abide, to remain. And you know, there's so many other options out there, aren't there? There's so many other options out there to distract us with temporary happiness or for the world to form us into its value system or lure us into some kind of self-obsession. But I, and I find it so easy in a world full of options to let my eyes drift from the invitation to abide in Jesus. I was recently invited to a football match. Gardening illustration set aside, Okay. Uh, I was recently invited uh, to a football match as a guest of my friend. And because of the position that my friend has at the football club, I was given all area access. 
and it was free entry, okay? I had the best seats. Michael, by the way, told a story like this recently. His story was of Rangers. Mine was the Irish League, okay? So don't get too excited. But listen, if free food is laid on, it's all the same. It doesn't matter where you are, okay? So it's free entry. I had the best seat. I was given a tour of the changing rooms, um, literally 15 minutes before the match, which was kind of strange. But food was laid on, and I was mingling with the players and the management throughout the day. And I got to watch the game from the viewing lounge. And it was a brilliant experience. I had a great evening. But, you know, I can't remember much of the game. Like, don't worry too much. That's not, uh, not, not for any bad reason. I can't remember much of the game. But I, I got engrossed, okay, in the conversation around me. I got distracted by the sport on the big screen, on the TV, in the viewing lounge. I paid so many visits to the food table um, during the match that the match totally passed me by. I couldn't tell you what happened. And I think the same danger exists in our discipleship. We gain access to the Father through the gracious invitation of Christ. It's not through any merit of our own, but because of his status and his righteousness. And we get swept up into his kingdom and we're granted all the privileges as a child of God. And that's how it begins. But after a while, perhaps our eyes drift to other things and we begin to lose sight, lose sight of God's beauty or the uniqueness of Christ, and we find ourselves engrossed in things that actually might be okay or good, but ultimately aren't God. Instead, hear the invitation to be discipled by Jesus, to remain in him and him alone. Not Christian activities, not moral behavior, not political identity, not religious affiliation, but as we abide in Jesus, he should stir our hearts to serve him, to shape our characters, to connect us with church, and perhaps even influence our politics, but not the other way around. I can think of no scholar or commentator better to quote on this Sunday morning than Michael Wiley himself, who reminded us from this very spot time and time again that being a Christian isn't about needing more than Jesus. It's simply needing more of Jesus. What got us into the kingdom, he told us, will get us through. Remain in Jesus. And you know, at a time where many are deconstructing their faith because of maybe negative experiences with church or disagreements about theology or doubts even about the Bible's truth, Jesus continues to call his disciples to remain in him. Maybe the invitation or challenge today for you isn't to go and do something, but it's actually to remain in him. Because he calls the doubters to trust. He draws the marginalized close. He invites the broken to rest. He instructs the confused to follow. He picks up the wounded to heal. He connects the lonely to community. He asks the faithful to remain. He comforts the brokenhearted. Abiding isn't spectacular, but it's essential. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. It's not about legalistic duties to take off a list, but it's learning to be to abide in Jesus all of our lives. So the gardener uproots the weeds, prunes the branches, wants us to remain connected to the vine, and then finally the goal of the gardener is for his crop to bear fruit. The same is true for God. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What is the fruit? What is the fruit of your faith? We often focus on what's seen above the surface. 
as what defines success. So social media profiles or body image or fashion or human accomplishments or achievements or CVs or whatever, I don't know. But none of those things are the fruit of discipleship because God has a different value system altogether. Humans count, but Jesus weighs. And he's seeking depth, depth in his disciples. He's seeking Christ-like character. He's seeking the fruit of the Holy Spirit that actually Claire prayed about this morning. Fruit described as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of a life who is discipled or a person who's discipled by Jesus. It's the fruit that God's looking for. And you know, often even a church's success is described or measured by the ABC, the attendance, the buildings, and the cash. You know, how many people were here? Does that that mean that it was good? You know, how, how good are the facilities? What's the bottom line? That measures a church. Oh, that church is great because of the A, the B, the C. Actually, God isn't counting or measuring those things at all. He's more interested in the D, E, F, of our discipleship, our evangelism, and our fellowship. What's the fruit of our lives? What's the fruit of our church? We should be measuring that against the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. What's the fruit of our lives? We should be measuring that against the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Bruce Millen writes that it is by involvement in mission and becoming fruit bearers that we show ourselves to be authentic disciples. What's the fruit of our lives? What's the fruit of your faith? Can I just say, I see that all over this church. I've seen fruit through Michael's integrity and consistencies he served here faithfully. I see it in people like, and there's many others, but people like Des Campbell, who was 80, by the way, on Friday. Sorry, Des. But whose prayerfulness shows this deep dependency on Jesus. I've seen fruit through the obedience of people like Heather or Lindsay who have traveled to the other side of the world to live in different countries so that they can serve God there. I've, I've seen the fruit of, through the compassion of people like Dan and Graham and Rosie and all their teams who respond to cap clans and food bank users and incoming refugees. I see the fruit of those who persevere and, and who are clinging to Jesus through the midst of suffering. I see fruit through the answered prayer coming from our prayer ministry team. And I see fruit through the sacrifice of those who serve in activities here week by week. I I see fruit. But can I ask you to consider, maybe on a personal level this morning, what is the fruit of your faith? How is it being displayed? How is it being shown? Because God the gardener doesn't just want us to grow. He wants us to bear fruit. To not just be faithful, but to also be fruitful. And as we abide in Jesus, that will help the fruit to come. So as we continue through this series, considering how we can be discipled by Jesus, can we invite God to do these four things in our life? Could you invite God to uproot the weeds in your life, to prune the branches in your faith, to be resolved to remain in Jesus despite the distractions and to bear his fruit in our life. Remember, we don't need more than Jesus. We simply need more of Jesus. Before I pray today and we respond in worship, I want to give us just a quiet moment to consider these four areas. Or maybe for you this morning, it's just simply getting one of these. 
and consider in one. And, and I've just got a kind of four simple questions that I'd love you to consider. I'm going to leave you a, a moment of kind of quiet reflection in, in a moment while the band plays before I, I pray and we sing. But what needs cut out or uprooted in your life? I, I can't answer that for you. What areas of your life need more pruning so that we can be, so that they can be even more fruitful? How can we learn to abide or remain in Jesus? And what is the fruit? Or what is the fruit of your faith that you want to see, that you want to invite God to do more of or show more of himself in you? And maybe you just take a moment. I mean, I don't expect you to go through all four of them, okay? It's not a comprehension test. It's more just a moment and an opportunity for you to reflect. And maybe one of those questions, one of those areas, and for you to take that into your, the rest of your week as we continue our worship through that. So let's just take a moment of quiet reflection, and I'll come and pray in a moment.